0: It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm not perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we are learning from three ex-guests of this podcast because I've been gallivanting around <laughs> Joburg by that I mean, I caught a train to Rosebank and one of them came here to Benoni. But yeah, I got three, three ex-guests. We have got Eric Janssen. We have got Rafiwa Manetta. And we have got Leah Jazz all coming back for the second time. Just, uh, just for a little check-in, a little catch-up. Finding out how things have gone since the last time they were on this podcast. And they have three very, very different stories. Their lives have all been very different from each other. And they've all done rather different things, so this is gonna be quite a fun, fun experiment of a podcast. Uh, It's been so rad actually, just getting to sit down across from someone and talk to them. (laughs) Like that's how this podcast started out was just me and someone, often in a coffee shop where it was noisy as fuck, trying to have a conversation. So that's uh, we're returning to our roots with this one. But just in general, man, I've had such a great week. I've had such a great time up here. Like, like I said last week, I think, probably, I don't really remember. I was a little bit drunk. Uh, that's, it's been fucking cool getting to see my grand. It's been so rad. It's been, you know, we talking a lot. Like, every day we chat quite a lot and... You know, I help her by. I mean, I've been cooking a ton. I'm basically the chef here. That's 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 my role for now. Although I'm heading back on Saturday. Uh, so yeah, I've just been I've just been the chef and then also a bit of a handyman. I installed a dishwasher the other day, and yeah, I fixed a few different things around the house. So that's been cool. And then yeah, just motivating her while she's doing her exercises. You know, she's got to like try and pull bottle caps out of clay dough as one of her things and with the stroke having you know like basically paralyzed the left side it's a struggle it's a real struggle to be able to do that but you know she gets it done uh, with a little with some complaining and it's definitely relatable but that's been kind of inspiring to watch you know to see her constantly actually improving and getting better like she's able to walk a bit unassisted whereas when she came out you know she had to use a walker so Slowly but surely, each day one percent improvement, and all of that. She is getting better, and it's been truly heartwarming to see. But also, I've managed to spend quite quite a bit of time with some other people. For the weekend, I went and played some Magic: The Gathering. There was a big uh, series of tournaments, and my friend Karan Chetty invited me around. And yeah, we we had a big crew of people. We were playing together. We were testing together. We were going out and eating and drinking together. And it was really just a wonderful experience when you haven't done that for so long. Like, I don't know, even the even the waiting between rounds wasn't that excruciating. And usually that's the reason why I prefer playing digital magic these days. So yeah, being able to just hang out with people, being able to do things, because being somewhat vaccinated, at least, offers protections. And they did do a great job at the tournament you know to make sure that everyone was wearing their masks inside there were sanitizing stations at every table and yeah they were they were very conscious and considerate of the fact that we are in a panini so that was cool and then i got to do this i got to chat i got to catch up with a few different friends and then some of those chats were recorded and you're about to hear them the first one is with eric Jensen. he came and joined me at the wimpy here in benoni in ryan view so <laughs> yeah, it's uh this we had to pass the mic back and forth because I only brought one up. I wasn't really planning to do this. Like I, I was hoping to have another interview scheduled, and to just be able to rock the one mic from my side and they rock the vibe from their side. But that didn't happen, and so it's a happy accident that managed to get this together. But yeah, there's some passing of the mic between me and Eric, and. Yeah, things for him have been a struggle, like like for many of us, and he's open and honest about it. We chat about, you know, what it's like to look, well, to get back into comedy at the moment, you know, what are the realities of the situation from his side? And that was cool getting to discuss that, because I'm looking to get back into comedy at the moment. I've put out word that I'm going to be organizing some gigs in Durban, and yeah, I've been chatting to some people and have some ideas and... Slowly but surely, would like to return to the stage. And yeah, it's after chatting to Eric, slightly less positive. But earlier today, I chatted to Carvin Goldstone on the phone. Like, we just had a conversation about it. And he seems pretty, pretty empty. Thinks that things are looking actually pretty positive at the moment. And that is one of my mom's dogs. That is Zeus, of course. Shout outs to, to Zeus. Not sure what he's barking at. But Yeah. It's it's an interesting time to be a comedian. I'll tell you that much. Like the lot, some people have been performing throughout the pandemic and that, and a lot of people haven't. And a lot of us are now wondering what is our place in all of this. So Eric and I chat about that a bit. Leah and I chat a bit about that. You know, we chat a bit about the getting back into comedy and what that's what that feels like. Obviously, Rafael, we're not a comedian, so you know we didn't chat about that. But we did chat about his dad and his book and the if you listen to the last episode we chatted you know about the book that he was writing it is now finished and it's coming out uh, this will be well yeah it's coming out in November so look out for that we do chat a lot about that just now but it was super cool getting to meet rafiwa for the first time I've never met the dude and we've followed each other on the internet for like 6 years now so that was fucking cool. And we actually ended up outside of the podcast chatting for like two hours. So one of the that's what I say. Like I've just had like such a rad time just being able to really talk to people. Even after these chats, I chatted to Mojak Lahoko. We went for lunch. Like well he I said we went for lunch. Uh he, he took me out and treated me to an absolute feast at this one spot in Parkhurst. The 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 place with all the whiskey. If you if you know where that place is, you know where we went. And we had such a sick conversation just about life and everything and comedy and the scene and yeah, it was it was everything I fucking needed. I'll be I'll be honest with you, it's been a long time since I've got to do these things, get to see friends, and yeah, not stress too much about it because obviously I've been more stressed about it just because of the whole fact that like yeah, I've got older people in my family who I've been responsible for for quite a while now, you know, I've been helping out and obviously, I mean, I got COVID at one point, but that was after they, well, my grand moved from Durban to Joburg and all of that. And so, but yeah, for a large portion of the pandemic, I've been very, very, very just cautious because I knew almost at any point that like, you know, I'd be seeing my gran and then I was living with my grand, So it was just one of those things where I had to, even if like, I felt some other way about things, you know, like if I was like, oh, it's okay, we can risk things, you know, for ourselves, which I still think is not the smartest way to go about things. But if that's you and you don't have any grannies to kill, then yeah, live your life. But yeah, that was that was always my stress. And now that that's slightly less of a stress, I am amped to get back on stage, but do it in ways that are safe and that are considerate of the fact that we are still living in quite strange times. So yeah, that's it. That's the intro. That's all I got to tell you for now. I will kind of introduce each uh, section as we go along. So yeah, for now, let me quickly shout out the patrons over at patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by you, which means that you can support it by going to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. You can also buy a mug there, 100 rand each, and uh, 10 Rand from each sale goes to Sasonke, which is an organization that is working to decriminalize sex work in South Africa. You can check them out over at sasonke.org.za. Also, we have t-shirts. A lot of people have been buying them. I've actually managed to make a whole new order. Like we sold out of the first batch, which is fucking amazing. <laughs> like I I'm overwhelmed with gratitude and it really does just make me feel like, hey, band's going to make it, man. Band's going to make it. So, thank you if you've bought one. And if you haven't yet, well, they are 150 rand each. For now, you got to hit me up at bob at almost perfect.co.z, but it will have an online store set up sometime. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. And then, yeah, you can just make it through there. But yeah, 150 rand each, and delivery is 90 bucks. I, I was doing 85 round delivery, but I forgot about like tax and shit. So kind of kind of took a little loss on some of the deliveries, but it's okay. It's okay. It's uh, it's an investment in the brand. So yeah, th- that's how you can support it. Or you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect, where there are multiple tiers that you can support on a monthly basis. $1, $5 and $10. They each have various benefits to them, which you can check out for yourself. But over at the $10 tier, which is the titular titles tier? You can pick your title right here at Almost Perfect Media. So for now, let's give our shout outs to, of course, Neil Green, who is the key grip. Shout outs to Rousseau, who is the chief sales officer of Subtle Heresies in the Great Overbig Region. Shout outs to Vishendra Naidu, our spiritual advisor. Shout outs to our director of purchasing, that is Riz Ventura. Shout outs to the Inevitable Ruler of the Universe and Queen Swifty. Kath Jenkin, shout out to Julian, who is our king, shout out to Karan Slemon, the almost perfect hedge fund manager, shout out to Karan Chetty, who is the assistant to the regional manager, uh, this is going to be a little inside joke for Karan, but uh, look at me, look at me, I'm the regional manager now, so yeah, shout outs to Karan, honestly had a phenomenal weekend with him, and if you're into Magic the Gathering, uh, we recorded an episode of the MTG Sharks, that should be coming out pretty soon. I, I filled back in my role as host uh, just just for all times' sake. But, yeah, it's a cool podcast if you're into Magic the Gathering and Quran has taken over hosting duties from me as I'm just, I'm just not that, like, active in the game anymore and, like, I feel like a bit of a scrubby, especially after uh, my, um, yeah, my results. Anyway, shout-outs, of course, to Stephen Olafear, who is the executive producer. Shout-outs to our pantsless weasel. That is Tyrant Love. And shout outs to our anonymous benefactor. And with that out the way, I guess I gotta, gotta let you know, yeah, Eric and I I told you a little bit about what Eric and I chatted about, but we also we also get into herbal life. That's it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that. And I'll let you I'll let you make your judgments uh, as we get into it. So here comes the the mini almost perfect podcast with Eric Janssen. How are you living, Eric?
1: I'm good, man. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm living. I'm back again. I remember the last time we did this was in like a dingy kitchen with loud DJ music. DJ didn't even care.
0: He saw us talking and he's like, I'm going to press play. Oh, <laughs> uh, bro. And that's the only episode of the podcast that's been copyrights flagged on YouTube. Yeah, because of the fucking music playing in the background. It's just so funny. So, yeah, we're coming at you from a wimpy or the smoking section of a wimpy, which is now my official studio for. For today, yeah, in Ryanfield, and Benoni, because uh, this is this is where I'm at these days. But you you are an eastbound and somewhat down kind of guy. Yeah,
1: man, this is, this is my hometown. Uh, I live like 20 minutes from here, uh, 15 minutes on a good day with no traffic. Uh, yeah, this is this is my hood. Uh, my mecha- not mechanic, our panel beater, our family panel beater before he left the country to go home during the middle of the pandemic. His shop is actually like around the corner. Dude fixed a couple of our cars for like really cheap and did a good job as well, yeah. Fixed my ex-girlfriend's car and then she cheated on me. Fun times, fun
0: times. <laughs> oh, we've been having many, many, many fun times over the last few years, hey? It's it's funny because this is actually the first time I'm doing an in-person interview in nearly, in over a year and a half, basically. Yeah, so I've actually realized that I've been doing, I've done more interviews via remote recording than I actually have in person when this thing started out as an in-person thing and that was like the whole vibe of it and I'm sure you have had some fairly similar experiences with not being able to fucking do comedy for the last year so how's things been going? Uh, it's
1: been tough, uh, it's, been, it's, been, it's been quite the experience because now you are looking for other things to do outside of comedy and I don't know how it was for you but for me having finished matric and jumped straight into comedy that's been seven years of my life. It is literally my livelihood. So I was just like, well, what do I do now? Uh, yeah, so I just got fat and then and then, and then then I played games, I played a lot of PlayStation and then, yeah, that was basically what happened. Yeah, I just coped by eating and being in front of a TV screen. Oh, I watched a shitload of series too. That was nice. And then, yeah, that's basically, you know, it's so wild that I haven't thought about this until you just asked me this now because I haven't done anything, man. I didn't even write. Like, I had ideas and I was like, that's funny. I'm going to write it down.
0: But my book is empty. Like, there's, there's nothing going on. That's, I think, relatable in some ways. Although I I weirdly have, if I look back at it, been really fucking productive considering we we're in a pandemic. You know, like, if I, if I put that qualifier on it, it's like I've managed to at least get a lot of stuff done. And just, like, for this, it's so weird, though, because in 2020, like, I had my fucking goals. Like, my list of, like, 2020, like, you know, goals and habits to aspire to. Like that list was nearly a page long. This year, release a podcast every Friday. That's, all. that's fucking <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny.
1: Yeah, no, I had my list. I had my list and then my list fell apart. And then I was like, survive. Let's let's start there. Let's just make it through the next year and let the debit orders not hurt my feelings. I think that's that's as far as I've gone. Uh, yeah, 2020, I was supposed to go to the States. I was supposed to come back. I was supposed to study. From studying, I was supposed to start like a photography business from the photography business. Like do more stage time from the stage time, get into more auditions, more auditions, more acting gigs and, you know, work hard enough to leave the house to not live with my parents. Uh, 2020, I lived with my parents. Uh, yeah, that's basically what happened. I played games, I ate food.
0: <laughs> yeah, your vision board just got chucked to the fucking bed, bro. Well, yeah, we actually had a good time together for a while playing some Apex Legends along with Mojack and like, I'll be honest, dude, during the peak of the pandemic, that was the highlight of my fucking life, you know, just getting to hang out with you guys and just getting to talk and just getting to like, you know, be exactly like be a part of a thing and like. Especially because, like, you and Mo are two of my favorite people up here. And, like, you know, you're people who I don't necessarily get to hang out with in general. So that was such a cool part of it, at least, is, like, being able to connect with people virtually. Like, yo, man, this is, like, this weekend was the first time I really got to hang out with people in a year and a half. And, like, today and tomorrow are going to be days where I, like, meet up and do this with a bunch of different people. And it's, like, it's cool that I feel like i have even missed a step. Like, it's like, oh, okay, cool, can just get back into yeah, this. Yeah. Whereas before I was like, oh, I'm going to be like socially anxious and this and that. And maybe I have been, maybe that's why I haven't done any of this yeah. yet, you know? You did say Exactly. But one thing we were chatting about before I hit record was the prospect of getting back on stage because I'm busy currently looking at organizing gigs and I want to do my one man and I want to record that fucking thing because... I've got another one man I already want to fucking do, you know? So it's like, and I've had this thing I've been sitting on for so long, but how are you feeling about things? Cause I was saying like, I feel like I, I can get on stage and just be funny now. No,
1: no, 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 no. That muscle has not flexed in a while. That muscle has gone through, what is the thing? Uh, 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 the reverse. The, yeah. Atrophy, the reverse of hypertrophy. If that's how you pronounce the word, hypertrophy. Yeah, no, it's just gone small as hell. So, yeah, look, but that's what I'm saying to you. Like, I've I've just gone back to being a matriculant. I don't have a job. I'm, <laughs> it's rough. So getting back on stage for me has become a very daunting thought because I I don't consider doing gigs where I do material that I've been doing for a while, me getting on stage. Because that's like, that's like reading from the textbook. You have the notes. You, you made the notes already. You know it works. So that's cool. But the prospect of getting back on stage again and starting and doing new stuff, I'm just like... It sounds like a good idea. And these jokes were funny to me and my girlfriend who stayed with me during lockdown. But there's a world out there of people who think differently, who aren't like depending on me for survival or depending on her for survival. So them laughing is literally based off of what I'm saying, not because of a a, a prejudice that they have. So I don't know. I might get on in the next couple of months. And funny enough, I was having this conversation with Dylan yesterday because he's like, he hasn't been seeing me at gigs. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm not 18 anymore. I, I said it like I'm a forty year old man, uh, but at age eighteen I was fearless. There was no pandemic. Uh, the prospect of getting work was at least a lot bigger, so you could have that income to you know do gigs and get money and fuel yourself to get to comedy. But now it's like, oh man, I have to choose: am I eating or am I being funny? <laughs> One or both?
0: <three>. gigs <laughs> t- no more. And it's also so a part of the way like the comedy scene used to work at least was you know even if you weren't performing you would go watch gigs and that and you become a part of the vibe and that's how people put you on you know like you show up enough times yeah. and someone will say hey why don't you come to my gig and that but these days if you haven't been working you don't have fucking petrol money to go to fucking gigs mm-hmm. to like and it's also it's we're still in a fucking pandemic mm-hmm. we're still in a panini so it's like it's yeah we're in a pentafles. Yeah, we- <laughs> <laughs> middle of a pancake two pancakes squished together with just shit on the middle <laughs> like that, that's what this last vibe has beat uh but what was i gonna say uh yeah like i i mean but it's also like i don't know like i think this time period's also been a period for everyone to kind of really realize what they want out of all of this and you know like i don't necessarily care about being part of the boys club and like being a part of like You know, the team and the crew and everyone pushing the thing together. And I think a lot of people are kind of feeling that way.
1: See, the big thing, the big thing is that being part of the boys in the club now is the thing that gets you the gigs. So if you're not a part of that, you are focused on just getting by by your own steam. And that's very difficult because if you were doing gigs with the boys before, but now you're not doing gigs with the boys because you don't have funds or you can't get to comedy, then it becomes rough because now you are stuck. Now you're just like, I wish I had money to go to gigs, but I don't have a job, so I don't have money. And in order to get a job, I need money so that I can buy things, so that I can get to my... So it's just like a terrible, terrible pyramid that keeps falling on top of itself, which is the worst shit ever. And then when you do get a gig, then people are like, ah, this guy's elite because he doesn't leave the house unless he's getting paid. Yeah, because they don't have fucking money. And even when I get money, that same money is going towards petrol so that I can get home. And then I have to buy groceries at home, and then I don't have money again, and then the cycle repeats itself. So it's just the shit show. But uh, even starting gigs, man, you, like I have this gig coming up on Thursday. If you're listening to this in 2022, you are a year and nine months late. Uh, the 30th of September, 2021, I have a gig and I've sold 20 tickets. Yeah, I've, I've sold 20 tickets. The room seats 200 people.
0: Well, that's making me feel shit because I want to book you for go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ah, it's bad, man. It hurts. It really hurts. But now on the flip side, what I can tell you is that if you are doing gigs with somebody who has been active, who has been pushing like an agenda and they are in the public eye, like I did a weekend with Alfred Adrian, uh, that was fun because he's got a sold out room. And not just that, we went to small towns where people hold on to the memory of whoever they saw on TV. So because I was on of Underland like the year before and earlier in this year, they were like, holy shit, this guy's opening for Alfred, this is insane. So after the show, if I'm not taking pictures of nine people, one person is asking me for a picture, and that makes me feel good. Cause
0: then I'm like, I have not been forgotten yet. Bro, it's like doing gigs with carbon. You're always the cameraman. Like you're always the fucking cameraman. But that's I was actually gonna ask about that. You know, like I guess that is kind of the thing is if you can, if you're a smaller comedian, smaller, you know, I say you, yeah. you like you shouldn't necessarily be in that category, but like compared to Alfred. Like, you know, he's someone who has genuinely worked his ass off, yeah. like with his videos and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. to draw such a big audience. So that's at least being cool. Like mm-hmm. you've at least had some great gigs, yeah. but now you're in this weird little limbo where that's it's just beauty. like, you're back to the, like the old grind of comedy of just trying to like fill fucking seats. And what do you think it is? Why do you think people are still apprehensive about coming to comedy shows? Is it because we're in the middle of two pancakes uh, <laughs> and some shit? <laughs>
1: Yeah, look, I mean, the panorama has a big deal in this whole thing. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is people, yeah, people don't have money. People aren't working. So they, in the same situation, weigh in except theirs is worse because they don't have this passion that they need to fulfill. So they are just like, and, and I'm not shitting on you guys if you guys are listening and you don't have aspirations. I mean, some people don't. Some people are like really content with working a nine-to-five their whole lives. Yeah, I mean, that's that's your thing yeah save your money retire do your thing i understand that fully but like for people like us who need to be out i don't know what it is in us that is causing us to want to feel like this and be in front of a stage or or in front of an audience all day but like that's that's just our lives and we can't do that because we don't have money and you guys can't come to shows because you don't have money so if you guys don't work we don't work which is terrible go to work man like start a business shit quit being lazy put off this podcast go (laughs) <laughs> okay cool so it's the money thing it's the pandemic thing and then also I don't know if it started yet <laughs> bless you uh, I don't know if it started yet but I think the whole vaccination thing some places have already like put forward the if you haven't been vaccinated don't come because I know that's been happening in the acting acting sphere if you what that you're going to do
0: yeah so the gigs I'm going to be putting on in Durban will be proof of vaccination gigs shit. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel really strongly about, like, that as a moral, like, thing. I mean, that's why I haven't done anything, dude, for, like, the last year and a half. Like, I could have been organizing gigs this whole time. I could have been doing stuff. But to me, it was just the whole thing of, like, I don't want to risk anyone else's life. Like, that's it. Even if you are risking your life to come and do this thing, you know, like, we're all agreeing to be a part of it. I still never felt comfortable with that. And, like, as far as I understand, if everyone in the room is vaccinated, the chances of, anything bad happening are pretty fucking low. And that's the thing. I just, so I'll do that because I'll create that space for people who are like that. Because also, you're an anti-vaxxer. You're not going to fucking enjoy my comedy.
1: <laughs> You've got other shit you need to deal with first. <laughs> it starts with a polio shot. <laughs> that's funny. No, well, I don't know about that. So the thing that has happened with like me in particular is we had COVID for the beginning of August. Yeah, we were sick as hell, man, like just knocking on the door, just like, hey, man, I could be going at any moment. That's like how sick we were. And we recovered. We're like back up and running and stuff. But now we obviously had to wait the necessary 35 days, which actually happens two days from now, which is Wednesday. So we're not going to, no, Thursday, sorry. We're we're not going to be able to vaccinate until then. But now the shitty part is once, you get, have you been vaccinated? Okay, you've, you've got your first shot. So side effects of the first shot? Okay, maybe I'll do it soon then. No, because my thing is if you
0: had right, you sure
1: the. Oh, okay, cool. Now nah, I'm I'm doing it after this. I'm gonna I'm gonna register. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna register immediately. So the thing is, there's so many things that are happening so quickly now after the 35 days. Now I'm just like, what if that day that I have the gap to go and get the vax, I'm sick again, and then I'm just like, ah, this is a shit show.
0: Yeah, but, if, like, the cool thing, the cool thing about getting COVID is it at least provides you with some modicum of protection. Yeah, 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 Like, that's how our bodies work, you know? That's the whole point of vaccines and stuff. So, I was chatting to some doctor friends over the weekend, like, about, like, lots of things. But one of the things they said was, like, you've re- you've essentially had two, you know, shots already of the thing. Because you got COVID. And then I got the first shot. So, it's like, this is essentially going to be, like, a booster shot. <laughs> like <laughs> So, there's some small benefits to a COVID. Like, if you got it already, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck, I didn't even have a choice. So, it was just like, I just showed... I was just like, can I have a vaccine? And they're like, yeah, take this one. It was just like, cool.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, but... Yeah, I found the experience to be pretty mellow. Like, okay. didn't really... Like, it, it hurts and maybe a little bit of lethargy and stuff. But, like, compared to having COVID, the vaccine is fucking yeah, nothing. Yeah, man. Uh, so, you... Like Okay, one thing we can chat about, since you're wearing the shirt, yes. and this is something yes. that everyone says is a scam, but you're actually basically paying, you're, you're living off of this shit. This is how you're doing the things that, that you're doing, is Herbalife. Yeah, man. So how did you start selling Herbalife? Because I know you're selling chickens, and I assume this is a, bit, a little bit of a step up. Yeah,
1: no, look, I mean, I'm going from one piece of material to a whole bunch of shit. Uh, no, man, I started because a guy that I went to school with has been in the business for the past like three years. And I'm not going to lie to you, in the past year, this dude, look, I think this is also the problem with the timing of my sign up. So he started, he was lazy. He didn't work for like six or seven months or I think it's a year, he said, because he was working for a company. I'm not going to mention the name, obviously. Uh, He was working and he was making good money, but he wasn't happy because it took his weekend's. And then someone told him, sign up. He signed up and he just didn't focus on the business. And then he started doing it. And in the past year, so between, I'd say the beginning of COVID and November last year, the dude bought a house. He bought a new car and he's living, like he's living his best life. All he has to, No, 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 but this is the thing. He's, he's like in this thing. He's doing it properly. He's got like a team under him that he like, that he works with and everybody's pulling their weight and everybody's making their money. Now, where people think the scam comes in is people like me who are half committed. So you're not in it enough to know enough. And then you approach somebody and then they think it's a scam. So like me trying to sign you up now. I can't give you exactly all the details. I could. I know the stuff. But I can't do it like that because you're going to be like, nah, this sounds like a scam. Instead of showing you like a presentation, coming with my laptop going, yo, this is how it works. This is what we do. This is how it works. This is how the sign up process works. If you sign someone up, it doesn't mean you get money. It just means that this person is on your team. And like in a job, if no one works, no one gets paid. That's essentially what it is. It's multi-level marketing. It's not a Ponzi scheme. So if you are at the top, you are benefiting from the people who signed up under you only if they are doing the same work that you did. So you are basically just teaching them to do what you did to get to where you are making. But he's not teaching me, which is the shit part. So... Yeah, I just need to learn more.
0: (laughs) You just said something that's a blatant contradiction. It's multi-level marketing, but it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's the same thing. It's it's a fucking pyramid. (laughs) Does it not look like a pyramid? Does it not look like a pyramid from the top? It's what you just said to me, not a pyramid scheme. Yeah, 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 let me
1: explain to you. Let me explain to you very nicely because this is a good example that they used when I did my research. No, 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 they didn't train me. They didn't train me. I I went and I did my own research, unlike the anti-vaxxers. But like, (laughs) this is the thing. So, for example, I am at the top of said pyramid and you are under me in this pyramid because I signed you up. But you, yeah, you starting your own, listen, oh, listen, please just listen to me. Let me explain this nicely. You start your own branch. If I don't work, I don't benefit. So I can't just sign up 10 people and do nothing because then these people just have access to the business through me. But if I'm doing the work, then I can benefit off of things that you are doing. So if I sign you up and I do jack shit, but you decide you're going to sign up the rest of the world. If you sign up 7 billion people under you and all 7 billion of you are working, that means you are making money. But that's what I'm saying. So if you do the work and you have people under you doing the work as well. You are benefiting. If you are not doing the work, you don't benefit. So, if you don't put effort in, you don't get shit out. If you sign people up and no one's doing anything, you're just signing people up and wasting time. And then you make it hard for me to sign them up because then they have to do a change of sponsorship form. It's like when you buy a car, it's like, you know, that change of, ownership? yeah, it's literally that thing. So, then they have to change. And man, it's just a mission. It's a mission. It's not as... But that's what I'm saying to you. Like, the Ponzi scheme is basically you sign me up, you get paid. I sign someone up, both of us get paid. Yeah. And that, that's how it goes. But,
0: but this if... The Ponzi
1: would work. Yeah, this is, this is like, oh, shit, we took the Ponzi out of it. Just a scheme. Just a scheme, son. Get
0: busy. It's a scheme. Oh, fuck. But that's the thing. Like, you've got, like, salesman skills. You've got, like, that kind of stuff. So why do you say, like, you're not really working at it now? Are you half-assing it or whatever? i So,
1: the thing is, most of this is result-based. So, I can't sell stuff yet. I can because of the sales skill, like you said, but I don't have the physical proof. Like, I've been in this thing and the products are pricey, but pricey for a reason because they work. If you use the products for like two months straight, you are definitely going to see results because not only are you using the products, you're changing your life, you're eating healthier. You're not going to be sitting at Wumpy on a Tuesday afternoon eating a burger. You're going to be at home making your own salad. You're going to be at home frying your own chicken that I sold you the week before. Like that's how it works. You are going to make the necessary changes to live a healthier lifestyle. And that's all that they're trying to promote. But like I said to you, the reason people believe it's a Ponzi scheme is because a lot of people will sell you the thing on, you can lose all of this weight in 30 days, you can lose all of this weight. No, no, no. But that's the thing. That's the thing. So that's the lie. I'm not trying to sell you a quick fix. I'm trying to tell you, yo, if you stick with me and do what I'm doing, I can help you. I'm not going like, to do the thing for you. I can't do the thing for you. It's your body. You need to choose. But if you're not going to do it, then tough shit, man. You're going to stay the way you are. I feel like I'm representing them now
0: well, it's more just representing yourself within it, you know, yeah, like essentially yeah. because I also think like a lot of people have probably wondered, you know they see your Instagram stories and yeah. all. like, is yeah. is Garrick a part of a cult so, now? Oh, no, yeah. You, were asking,
1: sorry, you were asking why am I not fully in it? So that's the other thing. The other thing around it is there there's a big saturation in the market at the moment because everybody's trying to do it. and the problem is, uh, okay, it's not the problem. If you are one of these people, I, I appreciate you. I'm just never opening the door. It's like Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, it's dog, door to door. It's just, yo, can we can we tell you about our Lord and Savior? No, 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 don't do that. You can't, you can't no, yeah, you, well, I mean, that's the thing. So the big thing is I'm focusing on doing as much as I can within the business first in terms of products, in terms of learning, in terms of all of that before I go haywire with trying to sign people up, trying to change people's lives. Because if I can't do it for myself, how can I promise it to you? And that's what most people aren't doing. Most people just go through the first week of training and then they're like, we're going to conquer the world. And now when you message someone and you're like, yo, man, you're looking good. What's happening? And they're like, we don't want herbal. Life. And you're like, man, I didn't, even, I didn't even say anything yet. I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions and plant the seed And you're hitting me with cement lines. I don't know. So yeah, that's the big thing. So I'm not trying to do what everyone else that is failing in the business is doing. I'm just taking a different approach to it. And also I have a couple of like personal trainer friends who have shat on me for doing this. And then I was like, guys, I'm not taking business from you. I'm going to push people towards you. Like I'm trying to help everybody because that's the main thing with the business and also get mad rich. But that's a conversation for another day.
0: Uh yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping it works out for you. But if not, and someone's listening and they want a good salesman, uh, Eric, what's oh, it? Put <laughs> me in, coach
1: underscore Eric Janssen, underscore because Eric Janssen doesn't want to give me my yeah. handle.
0: Yeah, like I had to message
1: this guy. He I think he's from Thailand, and I think the account is dead because I've messaged him like three times and he hasn't seen any of the messages. He's just got Eric Janssen as a username, and I'm like, yo man, I need that shit. And then the guy on Twitter is a doctor, so he's definitely not giving me that shit. And I'm like, you don't even tweet cool shit, and you live in the Netherlands. Give him a fucking name. I'm trying to be famous, famous here.
0: <laughs> cool, so underscore Eric Janssen for anyone who wants Herbalife products, for anyone who wants to change their life. Do you want to change yeah. your life? You can do it tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow. What you do is you download the Nike Training Club app, and then you just do that. <laughs> for free. <laughs> anyway uh, yeah thanks for your time eric um i know it's been a difficult year but it has been fucking wonderful to catch up with you it's been, fun.
1: It's been cool and i'm happy to see you I'm rocking the you know the mustache looking like a police officer and shit it's dope man it's nice to see you and i'd like to come back again a year from now when i have started making a success of this so that i can convert all of your fo- no i'm not gonna convert anybody i'm just gonna do my own shit and live my best life
0: yeah, I I think anyone that listens to my podcast that that you know wants to get their shit together already has. Like no no one who's listening to this is gonna start gymming tomorrow. Uh, so yeah, if you do start gymming tomorrow and you want some supplements to help you, hit Eric up. But yeah, that was a that was an interesting chat, wasn't it? I'm still I'm still of the belief that multi level marketing is just an like uh. Extravagant way <laughs> to create a Ponzi scheme, but I'm hoping things work out for Eric. As you can see, being a comedian in these times is uh, not easy. I know a lot of friends over the weekend were saying, like, yo, things have been hard for you guys, and like, it has, it genuinely has. Well, thankfully, I, you know, just dug down and threw myself into other avenues, but it's crazy when the thing that you were doing is no longer the thing that you can do, and then you got to try to figure out how to do it again. So shout outs to Eric. I know he'll bounce back. I know He's such a good comedian. He's so fucking funny. So go check him out. If you ever see his name on a bill, you will not be disappointed. And yeah, I'll definitely be getting him into Durban sometime next year so you can catch him uh, at a show with me if you, if you come down there. And I'm also planning to actually, maybe, organize some shows in Joburg. So we'll see how that all plays out. Anyway, up next, is Rafirwa Mineta, we, we met up at Father Coffee in Rosebank Mall, and, yeah, this was fucking, this was also a really interesting chat, like I said, it was so cool to actually get to meet Rafirwa, and we chatted for ages, both before and afterwards, like, I think in ways we were definitely kindred spirits, and, you know, different, obviously, different lives, different vibes, but, I don't know, we, we also connect in a lot of cool ways, so, I thoroughly enjoyed this. You know, it's cool to catch up and hear how things have gone with the book, see what he's doing to promote it and other projects that he's creating with it and those sorts of things. So, yeah, here comes the mini Almost Perfect podcast with Rafiwa Maneta. Cool. So how are you living, Rafiwa?
2: Uh, pretty good. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, uh, been busy with work, preparing for the book, um, Obviously just sold me like a really, I wish this was one of those podcasts with cameras. Um, yeah, Bob just sold me like a really cool t-shirt and a bag with like a woman with roses. Um, it's a pretty cool tote bag, but yeah, I'm living good. Um, yeah, just mostly preparing for for the book launch.
0: <clears throat> yeah, the bag you've got is an ALCX uh, Louis de Villiers collab with my wonderful girlfriend Paige Finesse. And, yeah, it's a dope bag. It's the last one. So, so you've got a rare piece of, of art there. But this book, I see it's now finally been, you know, is it finished? You've finished it. You've done it. And I see it's being pushed now by the publishers.
2: You've got a release date. So how are you feeling, bro? No, I feel, so. firstly, it feels great. But also, like, I'm a bit over it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh I mean, no, <laughs> I, mean like, I think the thing with books is so... By the time the book's released, there's a lot of like, you know, sort of exterior background work that's happened. Like I've been writing this thing for like two and a half years. Yeah, Yeah, at some point I was literally just like to my publisher, like, fuck, I can't stomach like doing another rewrite of this thing. Like, you're just gonna have to publish this, this is it. So yeah, I mean, we have November, 2021. So yeah, that's the, we don't have a specific date, but November, 2021. Yeah, so I mean, just preparing for interviews, um, there are a few cool things I'm doing, like, multimedia stuff um, for the book, but, yeah, no, 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 I, I, I feel really good. I think I told you before, like, I've published self-published four books before this, and, you know, I was proud of some of them. I think some others were okay, but with this one, like, there were sentences I read, and I thought, shit, like, I can't believe I wrote that. So, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, no, I get, like, two of those sentences a year so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little jealous there, but I guess the constant iteration. I mean, the writing, the rewriting, it gets you there. Like, you're going to... Like, that's the thing about writing that, you know, people, people know and people also don't know. It's that your first draft is your first draft. It doesn't have to have the most flowery stuff. It just needs to get the story down there. And from there, like, you can start filling it out and every now and again you'll just be walking and something a line comes and you're just like oh, right, let me quickly write that down like that's got to go there that's you're like i need this mm-hmm. but in terms of promoting the book you said you were doing some multimedia is this going to be are you going to be
2: promoting this thing on tiktok at all <laughs> or or what's uh, what's the situation there <laughs> yeah so so definitely not on tiktok because i don't think it's the market but um so we've shot kind of like a few because essentially, just to give context to someone who might be listening to this for the first time, I wrote the book about my dad, who was a detective for 30 years, homicide detective. Um, so, yeah, um, some of the videos are just like attempts at recreating the scenes. Like, so I'll read, yeah, yeah, so like just stuff like that, um, you know, talking about some cases he's been involved in. Um, with some eerie videos. Um, there's like an audio slash musical book I did. So my brother made the music for that and I was reading over the music he made. And then this one's really slow. Like I'm also making a comic, like based on that. But yeah, it's just so expensive. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just so expensive. So, I mean, I think with that, I might just release like a page every other month just because it's so expensive. But yeah, so just looking for ways for people to interact with the work outside of just like, having a copy of the book.
0: That's actually really dope. I was about to say, so they're giving you budget for this, if,
2: if you're coming
0: with all these videos and this and that. But I really like the comic idea as well. Who are you getting to draw it and help? Uh, like, Are you going to do the scripting for it as
2: well, or what's the situation? Cool, so I did the scripting myself. I actually, the illustrator is a girl named Alyssa. Like I actually found on Twitter, she's from the US. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And so I only used her because she was the cheapest. Like, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like a wild pack, like a wild, wild pack. Like I put out a call out and I was like, can anyone help me put together a comic? And she responded among some other people. But I didn't know how much it cost until people started quoting me. Um, Yeah, and I mean, there was a guy who was really good, but I think just as in like a back-to-back page would have cost like upwards of 12,000, you know, and yeah, I was just like, his work was amazing, but I was just like, yo, bruh, and this is going to be something like 50 pages, you know what I mean, so... I'm using her and the idea is that, you know, I'm hoping I can put together like three or four pages and then maybe crowdfund the rest of the money. But, yeah, I'm scripting it. Um, so it's going to be called The Book of Amos because my dad's name is Amos, but he's also a religious dude. And, yeah, so the idea is that he at some point, he I don't want to give too much away, but at some point he was hunting down a serial killer. And so it's, yeah. It's it's basically it's it's specifically a recounting of that case with some religious imagery sort of thrown in in between.
0: You know, knowing what I've paid illustrators in the past, twelve grand for two pages is about right. Is it? <laughs> yeah, six grand a page is like in terms of the hours, like because it's about the amount of work that they put in. And then, like illustrators I've worked with, probably five fifty an hour. Like, so yeah, I mean it's it's real work though, and it's cool that you found someone who's you know, like that you can actually collaborate with. And I like the idea of crowdfunding because I think it might actually work. And I think it's something that people then know it's a tangible like thing. Once you've got the four pages yeah. and people love supporting shit like that. And you've you've got a bit of a fan base that's been growing and growing <laughs> and growing over the last little while. But I wanted to know, has your dad read the book yet?
2: He did. So yeah, yeah, he did before so he read the manuscript. Um before I sent it off to the publishers. I was obviously like, okay, cool before this is published because this is your life we're talking about and we're sort of like um, yeah we're, we're discussing how you solve the cases but we're discussing sort of like the interior of your thinking you know like how it is you quote the suspect you know some of your biases and stuff like that so he read it it was weird because initially he thought this was just going to be a book about what an amazing detective he is yeah and yeah I mean I think one month into the interview process he soon realized that the kind of book he would want written about him was not the kind of book I wanted to write. So there were a few <clears throat> compromises we had to make on our, on both our parts. but yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad it's over. like I, I think I enjoyed interviewing my dad, but I also, at some point, like I had to take a step back. Because I remember, at, like there was this one point where I was interviewing him, and he was telling me how he, like there was a suspect, there was someone who'd been murdered and thrown into a river, and then while they were trying to collect the body, like the the person's hand snapped, and yeah, yeah, I mean like pretty gruesome, but yeah, I mean I, I yeah, I mean I just kind of felt like a bit ashamed afterwards because I was interviewing him, but I kept like you know, zoning in on that point. But how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? And he was eventually like, dude, I see what you're trying to do. Like, it didn't make me feel like any sort of way. This was my job. Yeah. (laughs) So it was like, I see what you're trying to do. Like, cut it out. Um, But yeah, no, he read it. And yeah, he read it. And yeah, he was pretty happy with it. And I mean, I've always said... I want people to enjoy my books with this one. Like, if my dad's the only person who enjoys the book, like, I think I've I've done my job. Like, I can say that, honestly, he enjoyed it. He thought it was beautiful, and, yeah, I think job done.
0: Yeah, bro, I can't even imagine what that process is like, you know, because when you're writing about something as a journalist, you know, you're usually removed from it, and it makes life a hell of a lot easier because you can be a lot more honest. But when it's someone who you love, someone who's brought you up, like... I could never be honest about, like, my mom's life with other people, like, you know, like, genuinely, like, that's, it's not fair, (laughs) you know, and so, yo, I mean, because I know I've I've done comedy and I've done jokes and, like, I'll take the piss out of my dad mostly, but, like, yeah, the jokes with my mom, I, I definitely have softer and kinder hands, but what's... Yeah, what are some of the considerations when you're then writing? Because as you're saying, you're trying to write a different book than he would have wanted. So he wanted a
2: book that's like super cop, exactly. like you know, <laughs> top dog. And what were you going for? I mean, initially, like <clears throat> initially, I wanted just you know, sort of like a book, yeah, that recounts his career. So something a bit like Super Cop, um, but yeah, I mean at some point it changed, like, I wanted to talk about, like, use him as an entry point to discuss, like, policing and violence in South Africa as a whole. But, yeah, I mean, the the obvious considerations I had to make, like, so, for example, we disagree about whether, like, just whether, like, we need, like, policing as a whole. Like, you know what I mean? Like, obviously grew up, like, on hip-hop, and so, you know, I remember, like, to give you an... We chat about this the last time. I remember the last time we were talking about, you know, sort of police brutality. And there was a point where my dad was like, dude, like, you don't know what it's like to have someone point a gun at you. Like, I mean, and that's like sort of like your everyday life. And if you don't shoot first, you're not going to come out. And so it was like... I, and, you know, because we're, we're discussing gun control and it was like, yeah, this is cool because this is something you get to sort of like intellectualize and, you know, but the reality, but the, reality the reality is completely different. so, yeah, I mean, there were, there were times where I had to, like, he'd say things like, and I thought like, mm-hmm, you know, this might come off as a bit problematic, you know, I'm putting that in air quotes. But then I thought, OK, cool, like, but, but this is who my dad is. This is what he thinks, you know. Um, I just always had to be conscious of the fact that I wasn't writing a Twitter thread. I was writing an honest account of my father's work as a policeman. And so if someone reads it and, you know, you know, they you know they don't agree with some of his thinking, then, yeah, I mean, so be it. But yeah, I just wanted to be as honest as possible. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, like, people also just need to get over this whole fucking thing of, like, other people having different opinions of them, make them, like, you know, the devil. Like, because it's also, if, you, if it's not your, like, I mean, I've obviously said lots of stuff about cops and I sometimes feel some type of way about it because, like, I know the job isn't easy. I know that, you know, they do stuff that is helpful and important in a lot of ways. But I also understand the structures and all of those things. And I get, like, how we can intellectualize these things. But at the end of the day, the reality on the streets is almost unimaginable. I mean, unless you watch The Wire, then then you've got, like, <laughs> a bit of a better understanding of the things. But, like, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where things were, like, pretty rough and pretty dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, you know, lots of drugs, lots of, you know, just sex workers, and just... I thought
2: you were fucking around when you said you grew up here. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought you were... No, because that place is rough. Like, I've told you, my mom's from KZN originally. Yeah, like, I think you said it in a podcast, you're, like you're from... And I was like, fuck, really? Like, yeah, no, that place is... Yeah, some of the stuff that happens there is unimaginable.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I did, when I was younger, uh, the one thing that's always kind of stuck out in my mind, I was probably... I had my skateboard, so I was probably about 12 years old going to go skateboarding, and there's a guy literally with a punga in his arm, like stuck in his shoulder, like running, and there's a guy chasing after him. And this is me just leaving my flat, and I was like, I know my f- other friends, you know my friends from up the hill. They, they don't experience things like this. But then, I'll be honest, man, like, being white in those areas, like, you're still, like, you see how much better your life is and, like, how much easier, like, things are for you than for other people. And it does just put things into perspective. And it's, like, as much as Mbilo was a sketchy and rough kind of place, like, you know, my life wasn't that hard in comparison to other people. So, I never really, at this point, I mean, when I was younger, I used to, like, maybe ham it up a bit more and be, like, oh, yeah, I'm a poor white, you know. But, like... <laughs> These days I'm grateful for a lot of the lessons I've learned and for the perspective it's given me because I've definitely know that it does separate me from a lot of my peers in some ways, you know, because I do have experiences that they don't have, you know, like and an understanding of the world that they don't have. And that is the thing. And I think like bringing it back to the whole thing of cops is like I also think that people need to have some fucking empathy. Like, you know, the left is always talking about being compassionate and empathetic, but never towards anyone that they have a problem with.
2: Yeah. No, I mean so so I think that also like this in particular made me empathize with my dad. So so just to give you some context, when we started this entire thing, my father asked me like, Okay, how candid do you want me to get? I was like, No, just be as honest as possible. So he gave me an arch lever file and there were obviously photos and whatever case we spoke to, it'd be like he'd be like, Okay, cool, this is what happened. Here are some photos and I remember there was one case in particular with a kid was killed by their mom, you know, but the mom, like, ironed his eyes out and stuff like that. Yeah, man. And I, yeah, so I had a nightmare about that. Like, I mean, like a few, like, because we spoke at length about that, that particular, that particular case. And I remember one night, like, I had a nightmare about the kid. And yeah, like, I mean, it just made me empathize with my dad a whole lot more, because I thought, okay, cool. Like, with him, like, there was a sort of, like, continual like, sort of, like, like he was subjected to violence like that on a routine, like, routine, yeah, constant trauma, and I was like, what what, what must that have been like, to sort of, like, have to do that, and then at four o'clock, help your kids with your homework, you know what I mean, so, yeah, so, I mean, like, he's, he's actually thinking of going back into the police force, like, they want some retired detectives to come back in, but, nah, man, like, I... Yeah, like I think that just made me empathize with him a bit more. I think it's easier to sort of like flog at people when you just see them as like part of a cog in a machine, as in like there's a police official who's part of just like, you know, uh, policing sort of like as an oppressive structure of the state, but I think you forget that some of those people are made, like that structure is made up of individuals. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's weird because a lot of the people throwing these barbs and these jabs work in fucking advertising, so you want to talk about systems of control and oppression and things that are fucking up the world and that are like having a genuinely negative impact on the human mind like yeah we can we can th- we could throw stones all day long 100% you know so i do think like yeah we do need to reform policing i think everyone can see that i think cops know that a lot of cops know that like the non shitty cops essentially know that you know it's it but it's also i mean B- human beings have only been doing shit for a very short period of time we really don't und- like like think about that like how new everything constantly is all the time like even old things are new like diamond rings for you know engagement that shit's not even 100 years old yeah <laughs> it's uh, oh man it's crazy but yeah so book's coming out pretty soon uh, are we gonna see you have you been working on a movie script at all since you're doing everything else
2: yeah i mean i think i might as well so there is a documentary in the works i'm not at liberty to say who it's with but yeah i'm hoping i can get it onto a streaming platform like the conversations going towards that direction so yeah not not a movie per se but like a documentary um and Dorp, eh? yeah my own devil's door like with my dad as a main character so yeah that would be weird but yeah man i think for me like um like, my late friend, Pumlani, so Pumlani was a huge fan of this as, like, books not just being books, but, like, an entry point into other media, yeah. like, and that's why I want to do a comic, that's why I'm hoping the documentary thing will pop off. I don't want people to just, because not everyone reads, I don't even okay. know, yeah, so, yeah, I'm still hoping people will, you know, um, get the story in some or other way. So, yeah, documentaries in the works, um, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping by this time next year, like, yeah, it'll all be sorted, but, yeah, definitely in the works. Yeah, that's interesting,
0: because I'm kind of taking it in a, like, kind of similar approach. Like, I've been writing this movie. I'm calling it almost perfect at the moment, because it's my almost famous, but it's not <laughs> going to be that. Like, it's that's just a work in progress. But, like, it's fully with the intention that maybe I'll just turn this into a book once the script's done, you know? Like, because that's just a, it's a personal thing. I don't know if I'm ever going to, like, try to get the movie made. I'll see how the script is after lots of, like, after a long time, you know? Because it's actually going to take a lot of work and, like i don't, like if to get the film made. I'd have to like put on a music festival, and like it's well, there aren't that many left. So, and it's a hist- it's basically like yeah, it's like you know the almost famous story, but done for me in South Africa with the realities of you know our systems and some experiences I went through in blogging and all of that. So we'll see if that ever becomes more of a thing, but. I'm, I don't know. I think I'm slightly less ambitious than you in terms of the actually getting stuff published. But, shut bro. This has been a great catch up. It's actually wonderful to meet you. Like, this is so funny. I was telling Eric yesterday that, like, I actually used to, I thought this is how I was going to always do this podcast. And then the pandemic hit. And then I've done more interviews via remote recording than I have in
2: person now, which is pretty crazy. But yeah, anything you want to leave uh, the people at home with? Yeah no so November 2021 the book's dropping so yeah it's called a man of fire corpse come out via Blackbird um, Blackbird box um, yeah I'm sure like if you want to follow me on Twitter at underscore rofiwa underscore uh, quit, right? yeah no still haven't quit like <laughs> I see you pretty much quit but like yeah um, follow me on Twitter yeah but also really dope to meet you I think we first started talking in 2015 so like six years later finally met so yeah i mean it's been pretty dope thanks for the bag thanks for the catch-up and the no worries man yeah so thanks for everything
0: <laughs> so yeah that was raperoa manetta with uh his book a man a corpse of fire and yeah like i think that was a very interesting and honest conversation like i could say there and you know stuff i've been thinking about of course like a lot of us probably think if, you, if you're you know on the left that yeah, we need to abolish the police or we need to reform the police. But I also think there is a lot of value uh, in knowing what it's like from that side, you know, knowing what it's actually like to be a policeman and to go through the things that they go through. So I'm very, very, very keen to read that book and see see some of the things that Rafiwa was talking about in print for myself. Up next, we have got Leah Jazz. Now, Leah and I have been friends for a very, very long time. And we haven't chatted in quite a while, uh, obviously because of the pandemic, and then also because yeah, she's moved to Joburg, and she's, you know, life's gone pretty well. We've gone from strength to strength. Last time we chatted, she was early morning with 5FM, and now she's at the 10 o'clock slot every weeknight, busy talking about sex and gender and a lot of interesting topics that I think are important to be discussed, you know, in a public sphere and for people to learn more about and know more about. So we chat about about that, you know, we chat about her making the most of the platform that she's been given to try and discuss the things that she's very passionate about. And we also chat about some of those things on this podcast. I do say some things about gender and those sorts of things that some people might think is a little bit ignorant, but I was speaking my truth and I don't think offended anyone, I don't know. But yeah, like gender is an interesting thing and we all probably have different viewpoints on it. And, yeah, I just try to explain how I understand things and how I see things. And, yeah, it's not like, you know, <laughs> I was transphobic or anything like that. As I say, I just don't know if I necessarily use all the correct language and probably at times, you know, misspeak a little bit or misspoke a little bit. But, you, you know me, you know, you know I'm aight. Like, you know, I'm So I'm not, you know. I'm not the best, you know. I'm not the wokest bloke, you know. To tell jokes, but I, I'm learning. I'm trying to, trying to learn things. I'm trying to understand the world a bit better. Trying to be a bit more compassionate and empathetic. And I think, uh, yeah, we do chat about that. Uh, Leah and I chat a bit about that because she knew me when I was uh, rather, rather less chilled, if we can put it like that. So. I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed getting to chat to Leah again and getting to see her and just getting to see just how, how good life is treating her. It's, it's about damn time. So without further ado, here comes the mini almost perfect podcast with Leah Jazz. So how are you living, Leah?
3: <laughs> I think I'm living well.
0: You uh, think, I, I think? I think so too, you know? Yeah,
3: Yeah. food in my belly, uh, roof over my head, pool in the garden, three cats, a husband, not mine. But, you know, yeah, loving it. Actually feeling like I'm in the best space that I've probably ever been in my life. So that feels good.
0: Which is, I mean, it's actually been really fun to watch your career from, you know, afar now. Because mm-hmm. you made the big move to Joburg. I don't know, when we last chatted, where you were still with, you just started with five, right? Like I you think so.
3: I think I had just started at five. Um, which means I was still living in Durban, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I think at that point I had kind of just moved into a place on my own. Um, wow. Even trying to think that far back, like I feel like it my was, memory it is it just wasn't like even died. that. long ago. It wasn't it was that like, long ago.
0: I mean, this podcast has only been going for three years.
3: Yeah. And it's been three, this is my third contract season at five. So I've been there for two and a half years now, which is insane to me. This is the longest job I've ever held down. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been employed for this long in my life.
0: That is a little bit crazy. Like, yeah, because you are someone who's never really been tied down to anything. And has always just been like trying to find things, mm. you know, like you're a creative person. And like, you know, like I know, like and especially in Durban, you tried your hand at many different facets of creative expressions. And it seems like you've really come into your own now. Like
3: Yeah. And I think I might have said last time that, you know, I looked around for my thing for years and now I finally found my thing. But I'd only kind of just found it then. And I feel so much more secure in that now. Um, yeah, I tried a lot of creative things. I mean, I have a background in writing and advertising, which is just the worst thing any human being can do to themselves. If you have a soul, don't go into advertising.
0: I mean, there's literally 90% of the audience is people who work in advertising and I'd say about half of them hate it.
3: Well, that's great. (laughs) Shout out to you. If you work in advertising, I'm sorry about your soul. Um, yeah, hated it. And so, so glad that I could get out of it. I mean, I've, kind of been in and out and i still do the odd bit of copywriting from time to time and like freelancing because the hustle never stops and also i work as a freelancer at work so
0: what do you mean by that because from the outside obviously you know aren't you at five fm aren't you a radio dj isn't that like a (laughs) full-time gig in its own right
3: i think it depends where you work i think some stations employ people full-time and you have like a medical aid and a pension and stuff. Uh, But no, I work as a a contractor. So I'm contracted to work the hours that I work. um, But also still the, the pro is that I'm still a free agent. So I can basically do whatever I want in terms of other freelance work.
0: That's dope. So at least it opens it up. And has the 5FM thing opened up your avenues in terms of work that you can get?
3: I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to say what has and hasn't affected work in the last couple of years. Sure. You know, I've been so lucky to have a pretty stable gig at the moment. Um, even though we run on annual contracts, I'm like, you know, every year around January, February, you know, your contract's coming to an end in April and you're like, shit.
0: Yeah. Anyone who's listened to the subs episode of this podcast would have a kind of understanding about what that like entails yeah you know, the fact that you're never that secure in mm. radio in South Africa
3: mm, you're secure for a year at a time and that year is great um and I think it's so important to make the most of it while you're there I really when I got this show the weekday show I really wanted to grab it by the balls and do something that I really wanted to do with it like I'm not playing it safe with this show at all because it's I've so noticed. important <laughs> yeah because it's so important to me like I, it might not be there you know, I know that working in radio is not something you can do for a lifetime in South Africa. Like, it's just not. Like, you have an expiry date. And that was something I don't think I realized when I first got into radio. I was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is totally my thing. And it's like, yeah, but you're going to turn 30 one day.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. When I started in radio, I was kind of like, oh, this isn't a thing it, like, for me. Like, it's not going to be, like, a real career because of that, you know, of the fact that, like, I mean, lots of different reasons why. <laughs> like, it's well documented why people don't naturally tr- generally let me on a live mic like too much.
3: But you just started at the other radio.
0: Um. But yeah. But that's a whole different ball game. And like, that's me just being super chilled. Like, it's blowing smoke with Bob. I okay. get to. I'm. I'm not being a rec- Like a. Well, I'm being more of a raconteur than anything, you know. Like, okay. I'll tell some stories and that, but I'm not trying to be a rabble rouser. Okay. Whereas if you put me on national radio, I'm going to say some things that some people are going to get upset about. Have you had any complaints yet?
3: Uh, So far, not that I know of. You know, we get the occasional, you are from Satan pushing the vaccine and like that kind oh, of that's nonsense. Mellow. But that's mellow. I've got a couple of creeps, actually, because I talk about sex, yeah. you know, on the show.
0: Later um, night.
3: And sorry
0: late at night late so at night like... exactly
3: so you know the kinds of people who are up i didn't really think about that but in the beginning especially and, and there occasionally i think someone must have blocked the one guy on the whatsapp line because he was always hitting these voices going hello this is whatever my name is from this place and i'm i'm like oh i kind of get a weird vibe from you um not because of his voice but because of the things he was saying Fair. um but there was <laughs> one guy when it was kind of like a an ama you know ask me anything like sex advice questions and this guy was like hi why is it that when you go down on a woman it just feels so nice to feel it all over your face and i was just like this is not appropriate so that's a youth thing, buddy (laughs) so exactly so i obviously like didn't um i didn't play it out but i went live and i was like hi i'm just here to let you know that just because i talk about sex does not make it okay for you to come in and be creepy on the whatsapp line please respect yourself and respect me on this platform i am also a human being he deleted the message and he followed up with, I'm so sorry. didn't mean to offend you. I'm like, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, that's actually cool because, I mean, some people wouldn't respond that way. So it's rad that, like, you're at least. That's the thing. The That's what I dig about your position now and like, the show that you've got is it gives you this opportunity to do something that I think you've cared about a hell of a mm-hmm. lot. So that is, like, talk about sex and make it more of a normal thing to talk about kinky things and talk about the way the body works. And 5 Afemo has given you quite a lot of freedom.
3: It really has. And I think, you know, you were talking about if it's opened up work avenues, maybe not so much um, in terms of- Bookings. Bookings and gigs that I'm getting paid for yet. But it has given me the opportunity to speak to people who are a whole lot smarter than I am and who know so much more about the things that I'm interested in. So I've had such interesting guests coming on the show and talking about their particular fields of interest, talking about rope bondage and talking about masturbation. Someone who wrote a book about masturbation in the US, talking on national radio in South Africa, talking about sexual debut with Nicole Hodges, who is a Canadian a sexual freedom philosopher who's really into like psychedelics and sex. That's like her thing is like kink, psychedelics and sex um, vibes. And uh, she's kind of started this, well, she's spearheading this movement uh, called Sexual Debut and talking about the reframing of virginity, for example, on air. uh, I spoke to Cam Fraser, who's Australia's leading sex coach for men, because Women's Month came along and there's always one guy who's like, when do we get men's month? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. From September to July. That is your <laughs> men's month. Uh, but I was like, cool. If we're going to have a men's month, we're going to use it to talk about vulnerability with men. We're going to use it to interrogate why men are the way that they are, particularly in such a violent country. So um, I spoke to Cam and it was so interesting. He told me about man bucks theory. Do you know about man bucks theory? Nope. So it was this theory uh, derived in the 80s where the theory is that men don't have or masculinity doesn't have a definition outside of being the absence of femininity. Okay. Right. Cuz like how would you how would you describe masculinity? Aggression. Aggression. Anything else?
0: Posturing. Um
3: so then what does positive masculinity look like?
0: Positive masculinity is uh it's like kind of caring but not that it's a special word I'm trying to think of ten not tenness. It's <laughs> Like when you grow a plant, what's that called? Nurturing. Nurturing, yes. But
3: nurturing is traditionally seen as a feminine quality.
0: I don't see, like, okay, maybe because I grew up with just a mom, I see that role of a parent, you know, as being a nurturing role Mm. no matter what. So I would assume that the male equivalent might, depending, if it's a positive aspect, would be nurturing.
3: But parenthood is something that's thrust upon women way more than it is upon men. Fair. So, I mean, talking masculinity specifically, so the theory is that masculinity is the absence of femininity. So that. in order to be considered masculine, you cannot have any feminine qualities. The manliest of men are men who are not feminine. Yeah. So it's kind of psychopath. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but the, the box for what a man could be sort of in the eighties was, you know, like a provider, someone who could go and fight and, be, you yeah. know, be in war, so go to work. The,
0: that's providing was probably more They're more. So than nurturing, mm. like,
3: but now as the role of women, has grown and expanded the box for what femininity can be has grown larger and therefore the man box gets smaller and smaller and more extreme because if being a provider is now a feminine quality if being able to go to war is now a feminine quality how does that why doesn't that just
0: open the box up
3: i agree with you no i agree with you but if masculinity is defined by what femininity is not, if the men definition for what's femininity grows, then the man box gets smaller and smaller and more and more radical. And men feel um, less and less like they know who and what they are. Because now if women can do anything, then what does that mean I can do? Where is my identity?
0: Yeah, but having your identity tied to your gender silly anyway. It's
3: completely bullshit. I agree. But learning about that theory was really Im- informative for me in terms of how I see masculinity, particularly in South Africa, where, you know, unemployment is so high. And now yeah, if you can't get a role. job, how are you going to be the provider? Mm-hmm. And now your wife is the provider and you feel like that is a, an, an indictment on your
0: masculinity. But it's also, I don't know if it's an indictment on your masculinity so much as you just feel useless. Sure, like, but I mean... Which is an indictment on masculinity in its Itself, own way. yeah. But, but I
3: mean, how many men feel like they have to be the man, you know, and be a man? Especially, you know... Uh, I think we probably both circulate in quite woke circles where yeah. maybe the men that we know don't feel the need to be the man. But I don't think that that's a reflection on the majority. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think that's a reflection on the, the majority of what of the world. many men consider to be manhood. Yeah. I agree.
0: Like it's, but it's, yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like, I do thankfully like roll in some pretty dope circles and like, you know, it's not that like everyone I chat to agrees with me. Mm. Um, you know, and I've got a lot of friends who also aren't you know like super woke and super leftist and that. You know, they're more in the center and that. But those dudes also like to me don't necessarily have too many toxic you know masculine traits. And so I do agree that there are elements to this thing that like really are problematic. But I guess, but it's also it's just I can't, I'm talking anecdotally, which mm. is issue
3: and i think a lot of the time it is anecdotal you know and we we, i, I don't think it is to say that all masculinity is therefore toxic you know yeah, you can agreed. be masculine in a way that is not harmful um i think it's just about interrogating what masculinity is to you because i think this performance of gender and masculinity and femininity uh, is a performance that we play out without necessarily realizing that it's a performance
0: yeah i mean this was kind of what i I, so with my centrist friends essentially like i was having this discussion with them over the weekend about that like you know because one of the guys was saying like he doesn't really understand like non-binary and trying stuff and that and i was like you know what from a personal perspective i also don't really understand it because i can't it's not something i experience but i do understand that like the way that our world is structured and the way that the roles that we play as human beings those are things that don't need to exist or mm. no need to be the way that they are they are things that we have been you know lied to like mm. essentially
3: yeah i mean i think about it like if you had two children like say you had twins and you in a remote location away from society one born genetically male and one born genetically female and you raise them in exactly the same way Do you think that at the age of 10, they would get out into the world and the girl would immediately choose to wear skirts and the boy would gravitate to blue and she would go and get a little home kitchen and he would get dinosaurs and trucks? Like, no, those are things that are conditioned and taught into us. Well, purple used to be a masculine
0: color, blue used to be a feminine color. So it's also like these things are like, there's ever been a case of like, gendered stuff being pointless and constantly shifting as well Mm -hmm. that's a prime example men used to wear high heel shoes and wigs yeah yeah yeah, that used to be powder on their faces exactly like so many of the beauty standards for women came from men (laughs) yeah
3: yeah yeah and beauty standards and and uh gendered coding is constantly changing which means it's not real exactly it's not an inherent function of who we are uh, on a biological level and so gender is played out as a performance Exactly so yeah
0: yeah so that's essentially what I was also like yeah just trying to get across with them because yeah once again I am mostly straight white male so like I don't have the perspective that like other people might have but I can definitely see that like the mostly straight white male are all other than you know the fact that like that is what I am also just constructs and also just roles that I play like in life you Mm. know like I don't necessarily have to like be, like, this thing, I don't... There's obviously parts of that that are intrinsic to you, like whiteness, like, you are protected by it in a lot of ways, Mm. and maleness protected by it in a lot of ways, and straightness protected by it in a lot of ways. But at the same time, you don't necessarily have to, like, make that your identity.
3: And I also think, on that note, because those things are performances and social constructs, they are subject to change. Yeah. And that's quite exciting to me. Yes,
0: exactly. You can... Yeah, you don't have to stay in that role.
3: Not just that you don't have to stay in that role, but that role won't necessarily mean the thing that it means now forever. Sure. Those things are subject to change. Um, And I think we're a long way from that utopia, but I think we have also made a lot of progress in terms of gender equality, hopefully racial equality, um, and at least in terms of people standing up. And I think because we know that things are not static, they're capable of shifting, that is heartening for me for the future
0: same like you know you do see progress as they say Mm. like happening constantly i mean and also regression but that's also just life you know it's ebbs and flows and Mm. you have some victories you have some losses culture is constantly battling to win out you know like
3: yeah yeah and i think power and dominance is like an inherent um struggle of not just humanity but like all nature all natural things so if there is a, a structure that has obtained power it's not going to be easy for them to let it go. They're not going to be like, oh, sure, that's fine. Let's just like reframe this thing that has been particularly beneficial for us, you know, but so it's a fight, you know, and it's a constant fight every day and you have to make that decision to choose your side.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah, every day, every day, all day, you're making day, Every day, yes. Uh, One thing I don't want to ask you is when are you getting back on stage to do some comedy? Because I'm sure like you, I mean, you have probably, because actually the last gig I was meant to do before COVID hit was your gig at Butcher Block.
3: Oh my God. Yes, it was. (gasps) Oh, to think I haven't been on stage since then is like terrifying. And I think the longer I leave it, the scarier it gets. (laughs) But I also think, um, there's something about taking a step back. Like I didn't write a lot in the last pandemic. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like I haven't, I haven't written a hell of a lot. And like, there are a few things and a few stories I'd like to tell, um, but also like i'm so happy now i don't have jokes to t- no mm-hmm. um i did a an online gig or i did the savannah virtual comedy bar kind of halfway okay. through How lockdown it? it was okay um, i think i'm
0: probably blacklisted from that
3: who runs it <laughs> at the time it was john flissmas okay um, yeah i'm
0: blacklisted from that
3: <laughs> who had contacted me to do it um and it was just such a cool thing but also a weird thing to like stand in your lounge and say your comedy set and then like you know, you, you also, you get used to like pausing for laugh and then there's exactly. no laugh and then there's just an awkward silence and you're like, okay, moving swiftly on from the crickets. Um, yeah, I've
0: constantly been wanting to do like a live Twitch thing and just try like some jokes out that way. But now I just think I'm just going to do some shows in my lounge, like to like 10 people and that would be better for me. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, it's it's really, it is quite awkward. Um, Getting on stage, <sighs> it feels daunting, but I also do crave it. You know, yeah. I miss that energy, that feedback from a crowd. And and now that, I mean, I'm fully vaxxed and hopefully lots of people will be fully vaxxed in the next few weeks. Um, it would be really nice to, to see some stuff happening around November, December. Actually, I'm not even going to be here in November, but December, like it's cool in December because. Most of Jobo goes to the coast. Yeah. So people who are left behind are looking for stuff to do. Yeah, so although it's
0: weird because most comedy gigs in the past were usually shut down by about the 16th, mm. you know? Like, I would mm. come up here and there wouldn't be any gigs.
3: Yeah, because everyone's gone. Yeah. Right. So I, I wouldn't mind um, maybe trying to put something together around that time because I feel like the stakes will be lower. You know, <laughs> there's only 50 people in Joburg and if five of them come to the show, then that's enough. You know, um, well, if you do that, let me know. <laughs> I will. I will definitely let you know. It's yeah, it's it's a daunting thing. And I I really feel the pressure to not come back and tell jokes that I've told before. Sure. Also, because I think my context has changed. So a lot of my material from before is irrelevant to where I was in my life at the time. But now, like looking around, I'm like, you know, pressed ceilings.
0: <laughs> I've got the same in my flat. You like, know, not <laughs> the jack card, but it, it definitely, like, yeah, I can't be telling these Belo Boy jokes anymore. It's like <laughs> yeah. it's not my reality.
3: Exactly, I can't be telling these like single person jokes anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm
0: single for this next joke.
3: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just pretend. Let me just uh, take this off. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah I feel like there's a a reframing of the context that I live in now that I need to maybe write for and I feel the pressure for that because I mean
0: I get that the whole process needs to start over Mm. but I'm in a different kind of position on that like I've had this one-man show that like I've been like reiterating on the whole time throughout COVID Mm. and that you know but like like I just want to fucking do this thing because it's like... Oh, my
3: God. I can't believe that you wrote a show called The End of the World and then the world literally ended before you could perform it.
0: Yeah, I did it once. Like, (laughs) I literally got to do it once. And then it's now called It's Not the End of the World. Oh, great. And like, it has... I like
3: that. I like this positive spin on bars. Yeah,
0: and it it, it has also shifted. It's a little bit more hopeful, um, which is weird.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like you've grown to be more optimistic in the last 18 months?
0: (sighs) I don't even know if optimistic is the thing. I just feel like... I mean, I've gone through some major depressive episodes and shit, but like, and like people who listen to podcasts will know, like, since I've started meditating, it's really fucking helped. Mm. Like, just like, I don't know, man. Things just aren't as heavy, like, yeah. and I'm just not feeling as stressed about anything. I'm very much taking the whole like, it's a dance, you know. Life's a dance. Just enjoy it. Just, you know, go with the highs, go with the lows, and just fucking ride it out. Like, you know, there's nothing more I can really do, and like, I'm tired of being, of having these weird ambitions and like feeling resentful because like I'm not getting to where I want to go and stuff mm. and rather just like yeah i just been reframing things and so I don't know if it's optimism so much as just a contentment and like I'm mm. super stoked with where I like I'm super stoked with my life like it's cool like I've got cool friends I've got cool like everything like the money shit sucks and that's it everything else is rad
3: but that makes me so happy to hear because I mean I've known you for a while and I've, <laughs> I, you know, I feel like you're more of a, an optimistic cynic yeah. at the moment. And also just, I mean, I, I haven't seen you in so long, but, but seeing you online and growing to feel, to, I can see that contentness with yourself.
0: I mean, that's growing also I'm not spending as much time online and yeah. it's actually helped.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I, I haven't known you to be a particularly happy person
0: <laughs> at all times, you know. No, I'm always moaning about something.
3: Yeah, and you've never been afraid to, you know, not just call a spade a spade, but to really... Really dig it in. Yeah, really <laughs> dig it in and uh, to call shit out and um, to, you know, trademark DIY cynicism. And yeah. like thinking back to like the... Uh, what's the right word? The the heretic that I met running Durban is yours in like 2013 you know you're a different person now and I think that you have a lot to be proud of thanks from who you are and who you've become that's
0: honestly how I feel as well like I'm really it's an intentional I've been working at it for years you know like to Mm. be a better person like so and it's also I mean a part of it is you know dating someone who I want to be a better person for Mm. you know because it's also like I was a bit of a fucking dickhead, like a shitty misogynistic, like, you know, guy who really didn't, like nihilistic as well. So I didn't really care much about other people. I did, but like, I didn't, you know, Mm. like, and yeah, I've just, I think I've become more compassionate. It's more empathetic just Mm. in general. Yeah, it's not all about me anymore, you know.
3: That's cool. That's really cool. It's nice to see the nihilism growing to optimistic cynicism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's still nihilism. It's just not like, I I mean, you know, I still think nothing matters, you know, Mm -hmm. like the sun explodes, it all gets erased. Like that's, that's it. But that's cool. Like that's not a problem. Controls the human experience. Yeah. But we still get to experience this. Like, Mm. so why, why, why does there have to be meaning? Like, just enjoy it. (laughs)
3: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, But I'm happy that you've come to that point
0: cool we'll see we'll see how it goes maybe in three months time i'm just gonna be back to like being a weird depressive <laughs> stay meditating function. please just just meditate <laughs> yeah it's that it's i've also like yeah, you I know, just been getting back into a good routine and stuff and writing and exercising and just doing all the things they tell you to do yeah but it's funny it,
3: how that works
0: <laughs> i know but i do know like there's probably some lawyers ahead of me and i'll have to deal with them but i just feel like i'm also just at a point where like yeah, it used to be me against the world and now it's just me in the world. Mm, that's you know? cool.
3: That's really cool. And you know, it's funny, I also feel that sense of like, things are going so well. I'm like, when is shit gonna <laughs> hit the fan? Like, it's like the, this like eerie silence. And I'm like, am I in the eye? Like, <laughs> when, when the fuck is the storm coming? Like, because I almost I almost don't want to believe that things can be good, you know? Yeah. That things can permanently be good. And and then I've seen things kind of wax and wane and and... and the lows have come, but the lows have been so manageable. Um, and I think in that I can acknowledge because I know that when things are good, things will get bad again. I think when things are bad, I know that they'll get better.
0: That's exactly it. Like, that's what I've kind of also like really learned to like value is like it swings and roundabouts. You things know? will
3: not always be as they are. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. It's the whole, uh, it's Jojo Rabbit shit, you know, like as well of like, mm. you know, let everything happen to you. Whatever.
3: Yeah. Yeah, let it happen to you and respond in the best way that you can. you know.
0: Amen. Amen. I think we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. No, thank you, Leah. That was fantastic. Uh, what a rad chat that was. What a cool conversation. And if you, if you notice that it sounded a little bit better, a little less uh, microphone going from hand to hand, that's because obviously Leah is in radio, so had a bunch of microphones <laughs> lying around. few of them didn't work, they were too fancy, but eventually we got one that did, and managed to get that conversation on the record, and I hope you, I hope you enjoyed this little experiment, this, uh, this first of a thing that I might do a couple times a year, you know, we'll see how it goes, but I enjoyed that, so I hope you enjoyed that, and I will catch you on the flip side, bye-bye.